I trust that you have everything within you already to make healthy changes in your life. It's about discovering why you might want to do that and, and how you might think of doing that. What's most important is what's going to be the best fit in your life for making those changes. In my book, A Happier You, I call it the flower philosophy of change. If you think about the seed of a flower, that seed has everything in it already to become that beautiful bloom. But what does it need? It needs the right conditions around it. It needs the soil, it needs the sunlight, it needs the rain in order to bloom. And we do that when we sit with others. We, we create those nurturing conditions through, through our interactions, through our conversation, through our, our unconditional positive regard. It's all about uh, helping somebody become an explorer within themselves, a, a discoverer of what's best for them. Welcome to the Plant-Based DFW Podcast Weekly Show with Dr. Riz and Maya. A show broadcasted from the Dallas-Fort Worth area that focuses on lifestyle medicine. This is the use of evidence-based lifestyle therapeutic approaches, such as a whole food plant-based diet, regular physical exercise, adequate sleep, and stress management to treat, prevent, and oftentimes reverse lifestyle-related chronic diseases that are all too prevalent. Every week, they feature a guest who speaks on one of these lifestyle medicine pillars. This show is for you, the person who is seeking to improve your overall wellness and quality of life. So whether you are driving, walking, or relaxing at home, we hope this show will provide you one more tool for your wellness toolbox. Let's meet today's podcast guest. Welcome back to another episode of the Plant-Based DFW Podcast. This is Maya Acosta, and today's topic of the day is happiness. And the expert that will speak with us about this topic is Dr. Scott Glassman. Before we move on to this episode, I want to remind you about the Lifestyle Medicine Conference that was supposed to happen in the Dallas area in November. Well, the conference is moving virtually, and you can learn more about that at lmconference.org. Also this week, I will be attending a podcaster's conference in Nashville, Tennessee. I'm very excited about that, and I'll keep you guys informed about all the things that I learned for podcasting. Scott Glassman, PsyD, is an author, psychologist, educator, and happiness expert. His innovative seven-week program, A Happier You, has been featured on Sirius XM, NPR, 10 NBC, and CBS News. Dr. Glassman is also a contributor to the Philadelphia Inquirer's Health and Wellness section. He teaches and directs grant-funded wellness initiatives at the Philadelphia College of Osteopathic Medicine, where he trains students, faculty, and staff in motivational interviewing and evidence-based way of helping people change. He became a member of the Motivational Interviewing Network of Trainers in 2012 and has presented on MI regionally and nationally to over 35 different organizations in the medical and behavioral health fields. He lives in New Jersey with his wife and son and is a lifelong Philadelphia sports fan. In this episode, we discuss Dr. Glassman's new book titled A Happier You. In A Happier You, Dr. Glassman helps people find more joy and meaning in their lives. It teaches readers evidence-based skills to increase positive thoughts, feelings, and actions in their lives. Rooted in positive psychology, it introduces practical ways to integrate personal strengths, accomplishments, gratitude, kindness, love, positivity catching, and meaning into one's daily routines. If you're interested in Dr. Glassman's book, check the link in the description box. It's titled A Happier You, a seven-week program to transform negative thinking into positivity and resiliency. I have been working the steps and I can tell you that I have a more positive outlook on life and I've been feeling so good. So I highly recommend the book. You can learn more about Dr. Scott Glassman by visiting his Twitter or Instagram account at Scott David Glass. And his website is scottglassman.com. Thanks again for listening. Welcome, Dr. Glassman. Thank you so much, Maya, Dr. Riz. It's fantastic to be with you today and to have an opportunity uh, to talk to your audience about health, well-being, and, and lifestyle. It's something as a psychologist that I've spent um, many years being interested in practical ways that we can enhance um, our physical, emotional, spiritual, social lives. Uh, so it's um, terrific to, to start this conversation and, and to kind of 
explore the territory a bit. You know, one thing that I find is sort of a missing component to change is understanding the psychology behind that. And the fact that you often talk about positive psychology and motivational interviewing, it are those are key components, I think, to creating change. I'm also excited that you'll talk to us about how we can become a happier us or a happier you that is your program. Um, before we touch on any of those topics, can we learn a little bit about yourself? Where are you from? And has your background always been in psychology? Yeah, so um, my background has always been in psychology, um, a clinical psychologist, and I've specialized in health psychology, positive psychology, and topics around motivation and how to uh, implement programs and different training for uh, counseling students as well as medical students. Uh, I am at the Philadelphia College of Osteopathic Medicine. Um, I teach there and have been um, also working with Happier You, a program I developed at uh, PCOM uh, in 20, uh, 2017. Um, since, uh, since that time, bringing that to our faculty, staff as wellness, as well as, uh, our patients, uh, in that, uh, in that, uh, program, we have three healthcare centers, uh, associated with PCOM. And, um, one of the, I, I kind of backing up and where my journey to psychology began, um, I can really trace it back to, uh, to middle school. Um, in my, I think everybody kind of has struggles and personal challenges in life and times when, you know, we, we need professional assistance. Um, and I had a, uh, grew up in a family which was a pretty uh, authoritarian in kind of the parenting style, as well as a high emotion uh, household and with a history of family depression. So um, when I went through a transition uh, into middle school and began to struggle emotionally and socially uh, a bit, um, I began to Kind of thinking, uh, thinking about what is wrong. You know, what are some things that are making me unhappy? And I think the focus for me has been from that point uh, forward. At that point, was you know, how can we fix what's wrong versus how can we improve uh, the, our our strengths and our best qualities and and give ourselves and the, our environment more of what's right. Um, and that really began to, and I, I saw a number of therapists who were very helpful. I, I got help at that point um, with uh, the love of my family and friends. Fast forwarding to uh, college, I went to the University of Pennsylvania and uh, being interested in psychology uh, as a uh, eager eyed uh, psychology major, I became connected with Martin Seligman's lab. Um, and Martin Seligman, as you may know, is the founder of Positive Psychology. Um, has done a tremendous amount of work in the area of uh, optimism. And I began uh, being a part of the Penn Resilience Project, where we would go into middle schools in Philadelphia and teach uh, students how to use CBT to become uh, more resilient to stressors in their lives. And I really love that idea of um, not a pathology-focused model of well-being. It really resonated with me. Um, quite a bit and something I wish that i had had when I was younger and um, facing those uh, emotional challenges. Um, and then I uh, got my master's degree um, and worked in the field of substance use uh, counseling as well as uh, mental health counseling uh, for a while um, before going back to get my doctorate in, uh, in clinical psychology. Um, I discovered uh, through that process this idea of motivational interviewing. And motivational interviewing became such a great match for uh, who I was, I felt like, inside and, and how I wanted to be with people, how I wanted to help them uh, through the relationship. Uh, and MI is this evidence-based way, as, as you mentioned, Maya, of helping people um, on their own find the resources within themselves to make successful changes and to live healthier, happier lives. Um, so this empathic Rogerian, and I say Rogerian, it's thinking about unconditional positive uh, regard for the people we sit with who are struggling with change, that we accept them unconditionally, no matter what they decide to do, was such an important part uh, that I felt like I had been kind of missing uh, from my uh, education up, up to that point. And so that just continued to, the, the, when you think about MI, you're going to be moving into the idea of healthy lifestyle change because that's where 
um, its evidence base um, really uh, it flourishes along with the field of uh, substance use in many other areas. So I became interested as I became a doctoral student in how, how MI can be used with others to um, help them increase exercise, to uh, enhance diet, uh, to uh, improve uh, engagement in their primary care treatment, became a part of the Motivational Interviewing Network of Trainers, uh, and still always had in the back of my mind that I wanted to bring positive psychology more into the focus of, of what, I was, what I was doing. And so from there, um, thinking about uh, Martin Seligman, Seligman's work, um, thinking about research in the areas of gratitude and kindness and love, that we could create a group program that was multi-component. So it brought in a number of evidence-based areas in the field of positive psychology in one, uh, one program together to give people the most number of choices of pathways to, uh, to improve how they were feeling uh, and also to connect socially in positive ways with others. And that became Happier You uh, in 2017. And since then, um, our program has um, been flourishing and we've continued to run it many times and train facilitators uh, through, uh, through Happier You. And now it's a, a self-paced uh, book that's coming out from New Harbinger in, in November. So um, that's, uh, in a nutshell, that's kind of been my journey uh, to get to where I am today. Well, I certainly have a lot of stuff there that's very interesting to me. Something I heard you say, which I'd, lo- I'd love to hear more about, is you said non-pathology-based. Why did that appeal to you? Yeah, it appealed to me because when we become more problem focused, sometimes we ignore uh, or we we miss uh, somebody's existing resources and attributes because we're looking at you know why this happened, if it's a trauma, the source of the trauma, negative emotions associated with that, negative thoughts. How do you change a maladaptive thought? Like it's all my fault. Let's let's look at that thought and and see what the re- evidence is against that thought. And that certainly has its place, uh, absolutely. Um, and at the same time, um, I think we're missing an opportunity to create upward spirals. Barbara Fredrickson is a wonderful researcher in the area of positive emotions. And she has a theory called broaden and build. And essentially what, um, what that means is when you feel good in some way, it makes you more flexible as a thinker, as a problem solver. And you're more likely then to think of new directions, new ideas, pull in more social resources into your life, uh, spiritual, physical resources that are positive and support your well-being. And as a result of bringing in these other resources, you end up feeling more positive feelings, more positive emotions, and then those emotions opening you further. And so you see the positive feedback loop. And I think sometimes if we get if we're too pathology focused, diagnosing, here's how you change or fix what's wrong, we may miss opportunities to capitalize on ex- somebody's existing uh, uh, strengths, th- their, their wonderful attributes. Such uh, a good point. Yeah, right no, there. I really like that. I mean, that's why it did catch my ear is it's uh, not saying, hey, we have to fix a particular problem, but let's uh, build a, you know, kind of build a better structure. And, and, and it sounds like uh, the way you were describing it, it kind of it's kind of exponential. It builds and it grows and it just keeps uh, getting bigger and better. I'll give you an example of you know, what that might look like. Um, in our program in the second week, we have people talk about their uh, successes, their accomplishments in life uh, as well. And they can be very small. An accomplishment, the way we see it, a small win could be getting out of the bed in the morning when you don't want to or cooking yourself a nice meal or nurturing yourself in some very small way but that is a win and that, that can be considered an accomplishment. When people together, we've noticed in a group, share their accomplishments as well as their perceived character strengths, um, it really leads to this idea of a social spark of positivity that other people then begin to think about their successes, their accomplishments in a, in a positive way, in a validating way. It's a, an approach that's been looked at in positive family therapy called capitalization, which is the celebration within the family system of what good things did you do? What, what were your accomplishments as a way of reorienting 
families and systems away from the negative, ruminative, um, who did what to me types of traps. Dr. Glassman, I feel like you're speaking my language in so many ways and that I can identify with some of the things that you've spoken about. I myself was very interested in going into clinical psychology. That was just something that started very early on in my own life. In high school, I think it was when I had a counselor who was pulling me out of class once a week and offered a group support uh, setting at a high school level. And this was many years ago, but I myself had a lot of childhood trauma. Uh, I definitely qualify under that ACEs um, list. Well, I've had a history of different um, programs that I've tried and coaching the way that I'm approaching it now is really working for me. And it falls along the lines of what you're emphasizing, positive psychology, focusing on the strengths, um, focusing on breathing, focusing on gratitude, all the other things that we can pull from rather than going down that spiral, like you said, focusing on the things that have kept us kind of stuck. Yeah, thank you for sharing that, Maya, because it really points to something I haven't talked about yet, which, which is so key to me personally as a psychologist and in the program at Happier You, which is mindfulness, which is our, what is our ability to pay attention to the present moment of our experience and as like a kind observer, as a gentle, curious uh, observer to whatever is happening within ourselves and outside of ourselves. And why that's been so important for me in 2004, I was in a car accident, um, rear-ended and began experiencing really debilitating back pain. Um, never had experienced anything like that before um, and was becoming quite depressed around it and not really sure kind of where to turn. Um, because the, I wasn't getting a lot of answers from, uh, from doctors about what, what could be done. I found John Kabat-Zinn's book, Wherever You Go, There You Are, and discovered mindfulness. Um, and the idea that mindfulness, that we can change our relationship to difficult experiences by holding it in a compassionate, um, kind, uh, attentional uh, cocoon um, was revolutionary for me and really began to show me that I can change my own physical suffering by using this the capacity of a different capacity of attention. And since that point, um, I became interested in how can you use mindfulness a little bit more directively? Can we use the same capacity to expand present moments by aiming the spotlight on good things that happen to us. Holding, it's, I, I like the analogy of holding a firefly in your hand. Uh, that could be a good moment. Somebody said something really nice to you that you weren't expecting, um, held the door open for you. It could be anything really that happens in your life. And can you turn it over and, and see the light of that and be filled with the good feelings that you're worthwhile, that the world is a, a positive place and all of the other good thoughts that could come along with asking yourself gentle questions about a single moment in a mindful way. What, were, what was I hearing? Were there birds singing? Was it sunny out? Like as we explore the, um, the sensory landscape uh, of what that moment is, the more we do that, the more we are building those positive upward spirals that Barbara Fredrickson talks about. Um, so that is the core skill that um, we teach in a happier you in the first week is how to use mindfulness and then pivot to using it in a way that's not just every looking at everything, but then bringing magnifying the best of who we are, the best of what happens to us in a very intentional way. When we're caught up emotionally in a moment, and we're overwhelmed by that emotion and it feels chaotic. You need that something to, that will help you ground. And it sounds like the tools that you're offering it are exactly that. In that moment, where can you find beauty? Or can you do a breathing exercise or be a little bit more present so that you're not overwhelmed by the emotion? And I'd love for you to kind of talk a little bit more about positive psychology. But before I do that, I just kind of wanted to do a, a little bit of the definition of um, motivational interviewing because I love to promote lifestyle medicine. So according to the handbook, Dr. Beth Frady's handbook on lifestyle medicine, she says that um, motivational interviewing is a critical technique that lifestyle medicine 
practitioners need to master. Um, in general, MI, as you said, is defined as a collaborative conversation style for strengthening an individual's motivation and commitment to change. But yeah, basically it's you're working closely with an individual to create positive change. And can you explain also what positive psychology means? Because it's really perspective, but also choice of words, right? Absolutely. So positive psychology, and I'll come back to motivational interviewing too, because that is so central to lifestyle change and gives us the tools as practitioners to be, I think, of, of great help to people. Um, positive psychology is a study of human flourishing. It's the study of how we can become our best selves and anything that goes into um, our strengths, our good experiences, creating wellness, accentuating and enhancing what we attributes that we already have within us versus having more of a deficit focus or problem-oriented focus. So that's how I would define positive psychology. It's, it's looking at how can we be, how can we live optimally? How can we uh, grow in, in the best way possible? And motivational interviewing has the same uh, spirit to it. Because when you sit with somebody and you are listening carefully and empathizing with um, where they're coming from, if they're struggling, let's say, with quitting smoking, for instance. Um, and you know, I began my motivational interviewing work with adolescents uh, at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia and, and helping them um, cut back or, or quit smoking. And when you're sitting with somebody who's struggling with such a such an addictive behavior, um, the idea that you're not pressuring them or not trying to force them to do anything that they're not ready to do, you're respecting their freedom of choice, their autonomy, um, is a powerful way of saying that I trust that you have everything within you already to make healthy changes in your life. It's about discovering why you might want to do that and, and how you might think of doing that on your, on your own. And certainly as an, as an expert in health behavior change, I might have some ideas, but what's most important is what's going to be the best fit in your life for making those changes. And I just think that's such a, I, in my book, A Happier You, I call it the flower philosophy of change. And the reason I call it that is that um, if you think about the seed of a, of a flower, it had that seed has everything in it already to become that beautiful bloom. But what does it need? It needs the right conditions around it. It needs the soil. It needs the sunlight. It needs the rain in order to to bloom, uh, to grow. Uh, and we do that when we sit with others. We we create those nurturing conditions through through our interactions, through our conversation, through our our unconditional positive regard, through our empathy through our acceptance, through our affirmation, through deep validation and care and love. It's really a kind of love um, that you sit with somebody in that way, non-possessive love. So you're not trying to um, impose your own ideas of where, where you think somebody should go. Um, it's all about uh, helping somebody become an explorer within themselves, a, a discoverer of what's best for them. It's it, What you talked about is really self-empowerment right like empowering the individual right. just like you said like everything that a seed everything that we we need to overcome and to be successful and to move forward is found within us and you yourself help find help the individual find that discover i like the idea of being an explorer this is very interesting stuff because uh, as a surgeon who treats uh, uh diseases that are very much lifestyle related uh, and uh, I operate on patients uh, and fix their blood vessels. And, and then traditionally, we would just uh, tell them, okay, you need to stop smoking, you need to eat right, and you need to exercise. Okay, see you in three months. <laughs> uh, and three months later, uh, they're not doing any of that. And, uh, uh, you know, the, it, my exposure to some of the different uh, approaches came through lifestyle medicine, uh, in motivational interviewing, cognitive behavioral therapy, um, and I find myself uh, a much more compassionate uh, physician now with them, and, and, and my approach is, a little, is, is very different. It's not a little different, it's very different uh, in trying to engage them uh, to be partners in their own health. Uh, and unfortunately, I don't get to spend the kind of time with them as a surgeon 
their visits are very short and we will talk about things uh, and but we do address these lifestyle issues and these are nice techniques and something that I wish I can incorporate more of mm -hmm. uh, into my practice. I love that you said that you um, you embrace compassion um, because people change or want to change in the context of compassionate relationships. They, we we want to change with our healthcare providers by our side as companions versus from a hierarchical or patriarchal perspective, top-down perspective. Um, so that, that really uh, struck a chord uh, in me and that the idea of telling somebody what to do versus listening to what they're ready to do. And there's a, there's a very big difference between the two. And as you've pointed out, Dr. Riz, that telling somebody what to do oftentimes backfires um, because they haven't felt understood um, and they haven't felt cared for in the relationship. You know, Dr. Glassman, now that we're talking about this, um, Dr. Riz was saying that it's difficult for us to devote time to patients, especially people that have advanced cases and may not be as open. So we have found that the podcast gives us a, pot, um, a platform so that individuals in their own time can listen in on this content. Can you give us a glimpse about your book? We've had the opportunity to look through it as well. But can you tell our listeners um, what to expect when they uh, sign up or, or purchase your book? And you said it's coming out in November? Yeah, it's coming out in November, but you can uh, pre-order it now um, off, of, uh, off of my website. Um, but let me talk about the, the program. Um, it's a seven-week program, and we take uh, the best uh, evidence-based areas from the field of positive psychology and each week focus on uh, a different one of those areas as a skills training uh, approach to well-being and happiness. And we begin in week one, I'll just kind of outline uh, uh, the program a bit, in week one, helping people reorient themselves to what's good that's happening in, in their lives during the week. So we would ask people to just write down or catch in some other way, something good that happens to them. Um, could be anything, um, could be related to work or family or something else, um, really anything at all. And begin to pay attention in a, in a very uh, in-depth way to what happens by asking themselves deep dive questions. What was I doing in that moment? What was I thinking? What was I feeling? Um, and this is this spotlighting process is based in that mindfulness that we were talking about. And we then jump into week two after having helped somebody practice those skills of shifting their attention uh, to the good things in themselves in life to looking at what are their unique strengths and what are their accomplishments. And after week two, we move into gratitude. There's a, a good deal of evidence that gratitude practice can uh, enhance both our emotional well-being as well as our physical well-being. Um, we may be more likely to sleep better, have more energy um, as a result of uh, practicing gratitude. Um, we may, you know, also thinking about our relationships, they may be stronger um, as we uh, express thanks and get in touch with the gifts in life from a fullness mindset versus a deficit mindset. And then from week three, we move into lightness humor, playfulness. Um, so the lighter side of life has a lot of health benefits. Um, Dr. Riz, you probably uh, know this uh, for, from your own practice and expertise, but that when we laugh, um, our, our hearts work better. You know, we, we also can uh, extend our lives. Longevity is impacted by how much we're able to laugh. Our immune functioning can be improved um, from laughter. So we help people access the lighter side of being um, in week and week four, and then moving into week five, we talk about enjoyable and meaningful activities. So kind of what fills your days that gives you uh, joy and or brings meaning or both? Um, are there ways that you feel you are connected with your values and how you um, are uh, aligned with what you do every day and your relationships? And week six, we, we enter the realm of kindness which again has an emerging evidence base that when we help others, it's good for our social well-being, it's good for our emotional lives, it's good for our physical, uh, our physical lives as well. Um, and finally, in week seven, we turn to love and thinking of deep caring. How can we help people um, expand the boundaries of love? 
um, channeling love toward people that you may have had some difficulty with is one of the exercises that we uh, incorporate into, into week seven, along with identifying um, an affections map. So there's so many prompts in our life that bring us feelings of deep caring. It could be a pet, could be something we were given that's a, a photograph from long ago. There are portals into loving our loving nature. And really what underlies each one of these pathways, each of these seven pathways is love. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a force that holds us together and we become our best selves and we grow and flourish like we were talking about through motivational interviewing by having that kind of unconditional caring and fostering that and, and trying to make that grow versus a critical or, you know, negatively focused center of awareness and center of, uh, center of being. So we're really in Happier You teaching skills and we're also teaching a, a heart set and a mindset, which may be really different uh, for uh, for some people who have been used to negative environments, used to the negativity effects where we're pulled in by who did what to me and, you know, who's to blame for this. And looking at the news each night, you know, maybe a flood of negative news stories that just keep us trapped in that cycle. So what, one of the things I just would want to add to um, what our program is about, it's not about forced positivity. Some people ask, well, you're just trying to tell me to be happy and just saying, ignore all the negative stuff and the stress and, you know, not being respectful of past traumas. And that's not what we're saying at all. And in fact, we welcome any kind of negative feeling that may arise during the course of that program. We would encourage participants to hold that within a compassionate, loving space um, as an observer. So using the mindfulness skill to not add fuel to the fire, so to speak, but to allow that fire to die down to an ember. And at some point asking, we encourage our participants to ask themselves a gentle question. Is it, is now the time to pivot or can I pivot to something that's related to a personal strength of mine? Can I find a personal strength in the trauma that I've overcome or the stressful event that's happening in my life? Um, maybe I pivot to gratitude or maybe I pivot to watching a funny show. Distraction can be a wonder, listening to music. Um, so the pivot point is, we're, we're, we love the pivot points, but we also are deeply respectful to the fact that the full range of human experience incorporates the negative aspects and the positive aspects. We're not whole without, without both of those. It sounds like this is a, uh, the approach is, you know, kind of this, to use a, a common phrase, the glass is half full approach to life. Um, but it doesn't mean that we, we don't experience the other things and, and, and we just ignore it. Right. Um, uh, so I'm glad you addressed that. The other, there was something you talked about, uh, and it made me think about the psychology of physical health. And, and that's really important to me, uh, because, uh, I do deal with physical health, uh, you know, uh, diabetes, hypertension, uh, uh, atherosclerosis, and I do, I operate on a lot of patients and I, I discuss with them about, or in general, my feeling is um, there is a psychology to your health and the, and the stronger you are psychologically, the happier you are, the, the more confident you are going into these things, uh, the, the better your health is going to be. And, and health does affect your immune system, your recovery. Um, it, ha it affects your, your mental health, does affect so many aspects of your physical health. And especially um, if you are struggling with chronic diseases, you know, chronic pain, you know, mindfulness-based stress reduction, John Kabat-Zinn um, really found uh, some wonderful results of using mindfulness to help people reduce the severity of perceived pain and the dysfunction that that pain was causing in their lives, which is, which is pretty incredible that we can just through the power of um, helping somebody shift their attention to these positive pathways that we are changing physiology. We're changing where there's a theory, uh, Dr. Riz, you're probably familiar with the gate control theory of pain, where we can close the gate of pain signals that are flowing upward to our brain by engaging in positive experiences. We're not, we're kind of closing off uh, the funnel of those signals uh, from, from our body. Um, which is uh, which is incredible that we can do that. Yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, I do believe in that, and just my personal experience with so many different people and how they experience pain, 
uh, you know, the same thing might be very painful to one person and not so painful for the other. And that tells me there's something about uh, the way people experience that pain that they can channel it in a different way. They can turn it off or they can experience it differently. So the, the hardest part about that to me is how do you bottle it? You know, how do you quantify this, uh, this qualitative and subjective thing and, and how do you teach people to, uh, to manage it? I'll give you a couple of examples that come to my mind. Um, one was a study that um, asked people to imagine a blue analgesic or numbing stream flowing through their body. And what they were asked to do was to direct that blue numbing stream to the place in their body that hurt the most. Um, and they found just with this imagery exercise that their ratings of how much pain they were in at that location significantly decreased. Um, so, and other, other uh, interventions have been white light. So it doesn't really quite matter what the specific image is. Some people may not like a blue stream or you know, a white light might be more appealing for others. It is the top-down uh, processing of imagery that changes the, the sensory threshold. Um, for uh, for individuals who cope with chronic pain, so I'm I'm so glad that you brought that up. It's it's a really important area. You mentioned the week I think is week three when you cover the playfulness of it all, and I was thinking, you know, 2020, a lot of us forgot to be a little bit light. I mean, it was difficult for many of us to go through 2020. Um, that aspect of being playful, of laughing, of yeah. just allowing ourselves to just kind of let go of everything else. Can you talk about those physiological changes that happen when we allow ourselves to experience uh, being in that mindfulness or gratitude or just playfulness? What is happening that immediately we see, we experience physiological changes? Just to, to linger a little bit on the lightness piece of it, the, the laughter piece of it, anytime that we can uh, be playful, like during the pandemic, we've all been so isolated and there's see, absolutely, my, I so agree that we've had a lot of less opportunities to um, kind of spark our, our playful or lighter side. There's been so many heavy things that we've had to contend with over the past year and a half. In my book, I talk a little bit about doing uh, kind of a, a playfulness uh, inventory a humor inventory as comprehensive as you can, making lists of things that make you smile, that are amusing, that are playful. Because a lot of times we've lost touch with what they are and we just need a little bit of a structure around bringing the menu back. Um, so what comedians do you like? What board games did you used to play maybe that you've not, you haven't played in years perhaps? Um, is there, um, and it's really interesting because um, there was a researcher by the name of Robert Provine, who studied humor and laughter and basically followed people around with a tape recorder. And when they laughed, he would, he would record them laughing and kind of study the naturalistic properties of like, what, what is the function of laughter? And he found, it's, it's fascinating, the function of laughter and humor was to bond people together, to, to connect us. Um, it's kind of the social glue um, was one of the major, major features um, that, that he found. So in my book, I encourage people to think about, are there people that you tend to laugh with more often? And can you schedule opportunities to either, you know, text or have a conversation or, you know, be in their physical presence so that naturally, spontaneously, you may just laugh about something that happened during your week. And that's what Robert Provine found is that people weren't laughing because they were telling jokes. They were just laughing because they were explaining just something that happened to them that didn't seem like just funny on the face of it, but then they ended up laughing with a friend or acquaintance that they were talking to. So I think that's such a, such an important piece of, um, of what the, our human nature is. It, it isn't all to be heavy and weighed down and, and serious things. It is to play. It's there, there's a playful aspect of that. You know, I was watching a, a wonderful film called my octopus teacher. I'm not sure if, um, either of you seen that? Oh, it's on Netflix. There's a, a scene, um, it's about um, a naturalist, uh, Craig Foster's relationship with, um, with a wild octopus that he encounters um, in South Africa in the, um, in the kelp forests. And he spent so much time in that environment and um, watching and, and participating in that ecosystem that he noticed one day the octopus was kind of close to the surface of the water and there was a school of fish 
and the octopus would send up a tentacle and scatter the, the, the school of fish. Now, um, an octopus uh, would maybe eat fish. And he said, well, maybe uh, he's just, she's just trying to catch fish. It was a she trying to catch fish. But in reality, it wasn't the aggressive kind of predatory type of behavior that he had observed from her when she was actually hunting food. So he was left to conclude there. And when you watch it on film, it's, it's very clear. The octopus is playing with the school of fish. Um, and I think the same is, uh, is really true for us. That's beautiful. You know, we haven't talked about this, but I, I'm a big energy person. I like the energy that's in the room or the energy that a person has. I, I'd love to hear what you have to say about energy in general, you know, or what are your thoughts on it? So one of, uh, I, I would consider him one of my spiritual teachers. Um, I haven't met him personally, but um, Eckhart Tolle um, talks a lot about um, the, the energy of presence, the energy of now and, and emerging into the present moment. And certainly we can become aware of our wavelength. You know, are we in a negative emotional state, a neutral state or a positive state? And I think it comes back to, and it also can be more, you, you may have some days, I, I would consider myself more of an introvert versus an extrovert. So some of us, our energy tends to be really more of a solitude type of energy or inward directed and other times, you know, or for other people, it may be outward directed energy and really people who need others to um, have their best kind of energetic field going. So I think it is really important. I think even more important is to recognize what are my, what wavelength am I on? What frequency do I need to kind of vibrate at in order to be my best self, my most authentic self and be closest to what I feel I need? If it's, you know, seeing people every day, being super active out in the world, um, going to concerts, um, or is it, you know, the Emily Dickinson being kind of solitude focused, um, artistic, really enjoying privacy, um, that kind of internal energy, which can also be very, very vibrant. It's not a difference of necessarily intensity um, as it is kind of what's, what's the best fit for you. It yeah. sounds like, you know, happiness is an individual uh, thing and it's different for every person. It's kind of then up to each person to try to find out what is important to them. Absolutely. And that's why I wanted to present not just a single pathway to happiness, but there it's a menu. And somebody may go through a happier you, um, read the book and say, you know what, I really love week three, which focuses on gratitude. Um, gratitude practice is the one pathway that I, it's a go-to uh, every day I do. Or another person may read the book and find its personal strengths and successes. Um, maybe they've lived in a, grew up in a household, which was very you know, non-recognizing of um, accomplishment and denigrating of one's ability. And so that pathway is particularly powerful for that person. Other people, humor, lightness. So it's, it really is individualized. Um, and we can use combinations. And I think one of the most powerful things that we teach in our program is the ability to flexibly shift among the areas, depending on what we need for the day. Because all of those, it's, if you pass white light through a prism, you'll see that white light is composed of many different colors. And happiness, I see, is the same thing. Um, and it's just about which colors do you want in this moment or which colors do you, of happiness do you want to uh, experience uh, right now. Do you know of studies or have you conducted any studies where you've put a group of people through programs like this and, and then been able to, in some way, measure the change in their happiness? Yeah, so um, there are a number of meta-analyses which look at positive psychology interventions, PPIs, um, and some, a lot of them are single component uh, is what we found. Uh, you know, so it might be write a gratitude letter and then it's kind of a pre-post, you know, how does writing a gratitude letter and maybe sharing that letter affect mm -hmm. mood and a number of other psychological variables. Um, other interventions are like happier you are multi-component and there's some evidence there's emerging evidence that 
having more components in your intervention, more choices or more of a, you know, a stepwise protocol through different areas um, can have uh, larger effects. Um, but overall, positive psychology is still, you know, an, an emerging evidentiary field. Um, right now, we are studying a happier you uh, with medical students um, at PCOM mm. uh, and looking to see whether this, uh, the social catalyst through these seven pathways of positivity and wellness and celebrating the good in life can affect um, levels of uh, mood, um, optimism, quality of life, uh, subjective happiness, um, and, and a number of other areas. So, um, so it's still something that's being explored. I would say the areas that consistently seem to be getting more support would be gratitude-related interventions. Um, we found some evidence, too, that what do people like about Happier You the most? Um, many people say they love the gratitude component of, uh, of the program. But again, that, you know, that definitely can vary. I'd hate to be the control group of those medical students. You know, <laughs> they'd be the ones not getting any, uh, any benefits out of the study. Um, what about uh, uh, charity, volunteering, where does that fall in, in, uh, in happiness? I hear a lot about yes. giving, uh, being of service uh, can make you happier. Yes. So um, there's evidence that helping others uh, can help you feel calmer, uh, have less uh, depression. Um, it's, you can feel more energetic um, if you help others. And helping actually can ignite the parts of our brain that are our pleasure-oriented uh, uh, centers. Um, so there is something about that to not being the recipient of the help, but actually helping, um, which you might think the opposite. Like if I'm, if I receive help, that that's going to feel better than actually volunteering or, 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 or helping somebody. So um, I'm trying to think there's one study um, of individuals with uh, multiple sclerosis who, um, when they helped others, um, they reported uh, feeling better physically, which was, you know, really interesting. And so um, there is something you might, we don't maybe understand quite all of the mechanisms around giving of ourselves in that way. But I think it goes back to a basic human need from self-determination theory. Self-determination theory proposes that we have three basic human needs. One is autonomy to make uh, our choices freely. One is relatedness, connecting to others in meaningful ways and caring ways. Um, and I, I think it's that second need to connect with others, which helping really, it, we are interdependent. We are in this world, one large community, and we rely on one another to, for nurturance, support emotionally, physically, spiritually, socially. So um, I, I'm really um, excited that that research is, is coming out because maybe that will encourage more of us to get involved with volunteerism, to, um, to just ask yourself each day, What's something I can give to others? We in week six and a happier you. It's all about kindness. We focus exclusively on kindness. It's kind acts for others and kind kindness towards yourself. Um, one study, one study showed it didn't matter who you were kind to. You, if you didn't, how closely you, how close you were with the person that you were kind to, didn't really have uh, much of an effect. So the same power of being kind to a stranger, yeah. buying buying them coffee, you know, and then right. them passing along that favor to other people um, can be an example of that too. I find that an act of kindness towards a stranger sometimes has more of an impact psychologically because yeah. you're kind of always yeah. kind to your, the people around you, the people you see daily, your family, your friends. Uh, but to, to step outside of your uh, box or your circle and be kind to someone where there's absolutely no, uh, uh, there's not going to be any payback. There's no, there's no obligation. Uh, and so you're doing it just for the no, no other reason than to be kind. I, I find that to have more of a, a psychological impact. And a physical impact because one study uh, using MRIs looked at the effect of surprised, uh, being a, a surprised recipient, recipient of a gift of something good. And there, were more, um, there was more activation in the nucleus accumbens, the part of our brains, which is that pleasure center, because it was a surprise. It was unexpected. So I think that there are that there's that physiological correlate to what you're pointing out psychologically that happens if we can and happier you we try to capitalize on that by um having this activity where you hide kind notes um somewhere in your house for people to find about them 
So you like might open a cabinet and there's a post-it that somebody you live with is put there as saying just a compliment. And it's the surprise, right? That's, that's using um, the evidence base of kindness, the physiological side of it, as well as the psychological side to strengthen relationships and to have those, uh, what, what I like to call, um, and what's been called in the literature, those light bulb moments, um, those light bulb emotional moments that really spread uh, a sense of positivity, well-being further than some other moments in our day. And the world could use a little bit more kindness. If I could just spotlight just one quick thing about that, Maya, is the intention that you had within you, the intention and the impulse to be kind and, and generous in that way. And from a happier you perspective, from a spotlighting perspective, not so much that um, maybe it was uh, a, a missed opportunity, but that you cultivated within yourself that desire in that moment arose to uh, intended action. And I'm, I'm guessing that that will come out more and more in where you do have the uh, the resources and the opportunity and, and the things around you to to make that happen. And this program that you put together, I love that you use the word menu. It's a menu, but you've put it all together for us to sit and do our own homework, sort of, and to put our list together of what works and what are our strengths and what brings, um, you know, how can we be more mindful? How can we be more playful? It, we're putting it together like a recipe, like what you've said, so that we can have this awareness in our lives on a regular basis. So maybe you can share with our, our listeners, what are your programs? Um, how can they already pre-order your book and learn more about you in general, like your Facebook, um, social media? You can go to scottglassman.com is my website. And um, if you click on the book link, you can uh, pre-order from bookshop.org. Every pre-order, um, they donate some money to independent bookstores. And so we can support independent bookstores book across the country um, through, uh, through that initiative, um, as well as coaching. So I, I do offer coaching sessions, um, which you can find on my website as well. If you would love to uh, follow me, perhaps, and get more tips around positivity and wellness and um, well-being and happiness uh, at Scott David Glass uh, is my Instagram and my Twitter handles. So I uh, would love uh, to connect with you. If you just want to DM me on Instagram, I'm very open and love to, loves to talk uh, to anybody who's interested in positivity, happiness, lifestyle change. Um, it's, it's a passion of mine and it connects me with, uh, with the world and um, doing my part as much as I can to help others realize them, their best selves feels like it's become my mission from when I was very young. It's like that's, it was in the seed. And now I feel so fortunate to, uh, to be on your podcast today to, to kind of share that, that flourishing in my own life. So I, I feel very fortunate uh, for, for both of you, Maya and Dr. Riz, for, you know, for the time that we've had together today in the conversation. It's been wonderful. Yes, and same here. I mean, this is what we want to promote as well. This is what we'd like for people to feel empowered on how they can create change. You know, uh, I want to thank you. I've really enjoyed this. Uh, um, I think our audience is really going to enjoy this. Yes. Uh, it's going to stimulate people. The more we can create these kinds of events to raise awareness about how we all can contribute to personal well-being and social well-being and well-being in our communities is so it's so needed right now we need that more than ever so yes all right well thank you very much thank you so much uh, and best wishes to you both a good health to you take care you've been listening to the plant-based dfw podcast show if you like our content please like share and leave a review our goal is to provide quality episodes to help support the community